It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Welcome to another episode of Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being with us. My name is Mike Bernard. I'm your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the show. With me, two additional certified financial planners. One's a CPA, Josh Gregory and CPA Ryan Fair. Yeah. Mike, I've been begging and pleading that we need to have a show that's all about listener questions and it looks like you finally came through for you me. You know, it wasn't fair when you had Andrea start bugging me about the same thing. I finally <laughs> caved. That's right. Well, today on the Wise Money Show, we're going to answer your most common tax questions. And to help us do that, we're welcoming back in the studio CPA Ryan Fair. That's right. We're glad to have him. It's a busy time. But, uh, you know, we want to talk about what you're thinking about. And it's tax season. So Ryan's going to share some wisdom with us. If you have a question for the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can call or text us, 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. Online, wisemoneyshow.com. You can submit a question right there on the right, as well as catch up on all other content. Speaking of, I would encourage you, follow us on social media as well. Wherever you're at, we are there too. Social media, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, all that sort of stuff. Just search the Wise Money Show. You can submit questions that way as well. All right. Yeah, so no agenda today. I'm looking at, I've got my computer set up where I normally have an agenda. It's just a list of questions though, because Josh has been bugging me so much. (laughs) Just kidding. But no, this is, it's tax season and taxes, this is a confusing time for for most folks. And so we're going to run through your most common tax questions, several that I've received from, from you, some that are just evergreen where, okay, people, these questions come up over and over again. We're going to start with some questions related to the SECURE Act that took effect in 2020. So first question, if you turn 70 and a half in 2020, do you have to start taking your required minimum distribution in 2020? You do not. So part of this new SECURE Act that came out, uh, began effective 2020, they bumped that age back to age 72. So it's been 70 and a half forever that I remember since I've been in the, been in the industry. And they bumped it back to 72 so that uh, IRA retirement plan owners are not required to start pulling money out until age 72. Uh, so this isn't a big change, but it could still mean thousands of dollars of tax savings, too. Right. Now, they've done all the math. And I, what is it, Ryan? Only um, oh, is it 90 percent or, or 90 percent of people are drawing out enough money anyway. So they I think it's 80. I think one of the oh, stats that I read said 20 percent of IRA distributions are taken only because they have to take the RMD. So that's the the amount that they're taking. I think 20% was the number I read. Okay. That's what made me wonder if this law was really going to pertain to very many folks. It just, it seems as though most people, you start drawing out of your IRA or your other retirement accounts long before 70 because you've retired, you need something to live off of, something to supplement social security. Mm -hmm. But if you had a nice pension, you had other assets that you've been living off of, maybe you've been able to postpone your distributions out of an IRA 
all the way to age 70 and a half, and they just gave you another year and a half to wait. Right. Which, again, if that's if that's you, then that could be thousands of dollars of, of tax savings. So that's pretty significant. Yeah. It's just um, the time value yeah. compounding, leaving Compound. the money in the account. That's right. That's right. All right. So second question, this also is about the SECURE Act. If you inherited an IRA from your parents in the past and you've already been taking your required minimum distribution out of that inherited IRA, do you now have to withdraw the entire account within 10 years? No, you do not. So if the if the uh, person that passed away with the IRA passed away prior to 2020, the old rules still apply. So this new SECURE Act law takes effect with any um, IRA owners that pass away during 2020 and beyond. So so basically that means the new law that we're talking about in the SECURE Act says that non-spousal beneficiaries have to withdraw the entire inherited IRA over a period of 10 years, where before it was a bunch of calculations where you could extend it longer than that. Yeah, and that was a really big deal. I mean, the, right. the old rules allowed someone to inherit an IRA and slowly trickle the money out of that IRA over the rest of their life, essentially. And you think about the benefit of that. Whoever originally built that IRA, saved it up, accumulated it, they weren't paying taxes on the growth as long as the money was inside that account. And then you get to inherit it and not pay tax on the growth until you're pulling the money out slowly over time. It it was a concept that was so big, we, we even named it the we didn't, the stretch IRA concept. And it is a fantastic way to really build up wealth outside the reach of the tax man. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of the goodness of that old rule has gone away with this new SECURE Act saying, now you only get to leave it in there for 10 years. Yeah. So we're going to actually, this is, in my opinion, this is the biggest change within the SECURE Act. And and yes, I know lots of changes to 401ks and retirement plans, but for the average consumer, I think this is the biggest change. We'll do a full show on all these details um, of this particular stretch IRA rule change. But a couple things that I'd mention. So if, uh, if you're inheriting an IRA from your spouse, there's no 10-year rule. I mean, you can right. make that your own or you can still do... Um, uh, it, it doesn't need to be withdrawn over 10 years. But then the other thing is what Josh was mentioning, that you used to be able to just take out a little bit amount every single year over your life expectancy if you wanted to stretch this out. Now with the 10-year rule, you're not forced to take a little bit out every year over 10 years. You could actually take it all out on the and, 10th year yeah. or the 9th year and the 8th year. Yeah. You, there's some planning here, yeah. which I will just channel my inner Kevin Corhorn and say, run, uh, don't walk <laughs> to your certified financial planner if you're facing this sort of situation or at least doing some estate planning because making that decision over, well, should I take it out one-tenth at a time? Should I not take anything for a couple of years and take it all out here? That's a that's a comprehensive financial planning decision. Huge flexibility. That's right. I mean, you, you think about you're making an investment decision you know, what are you going to cash in when the time comes at, at the end of that 10 year or some sometime along the way? You're also uh, making a cash flow decision. And ultimately, it's going to have a major impact on the tax picture, which is why it's coming up in the context of today's show. And, and then this lastly, and I'm just, you know, the, we're forecasting a little bit to next year. 
how should you invest in an account that you know needs to be drawn withdrawn within 10 years? Hmm. How do you make yeah, the investment decisions there? E- would it be different if you said, well, I'm not going to spend the money when I pull it out. I'll just reinvest it. How do you make those investment decisions? It absolutely matters what you're going to do with the money absolutely. when it comes out, right? Because, you know, a, a lot of folks... They, they don't uh, recognize the fact that all along, when the government makes you pull money out of an IRA, they're not making you spend it. You could put it into a bank account and let it just kind of sit under the mattress, so to speak, or it could be reinvested back into the same types of investments that it came out of. It's just that they can no longer be inside that tax-sheltered account, an IRA. It has to be in a taxable account. Um, but it could be the same exact investments. Yep. If you owned Apple stock in the IRA, you can own Apple stock in your own individual account or a joint account with your spouse. So to me, it all has to do with when are you going to uh, begin spending that money? That's when you need to start really paying attention to the risk level of those accounts. That's right. That's right. All right. So that one's very confusing, the stretch IRA. We're going to be doing we're, we're going to be doing shows based on each of these big changes within within the SECURE Act, that's definitely going to be one of them. Another one that's pretty obscure, this next question. Can I withdraw money from my 529 plan to pay down student loans? You can. So this is part of the new SECURE Act, again, that we're talking about. They they added this provision um, to basically, you know, there's a student loan debt crisis going on in our country with the uh, dollar amounts that, you know, these college grads are graduating with with student loans. So they've made it easier to withdraw money out of their college savings account to put towards the student loan debt that they've accumulated over the years. So it's a one-time lifetime distribution of up to $10,000. So, hey, remember when they changed a whole bunch of tax laws and said they were making things easier? Right. (laughs) (laughs) So this rule, in fact, you now have the ability to do this, but oh my goodness, is this part confusing. Yeah, it is. Not to mention just that the 529, it's a federal law, but it's sort of applied by the state. So then the states need to interpret it. So we're going to do a full show on this as well. Just know that that capability is there, but be very careful. Work work with your CFP and CPA before you do that. All right. Another great question about the SECURE Act. And then when does my son or daughter need to start filing their tax return? Uh, That and more great questions coming up here on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. When your son or daughter, who's in high school, say, starts working, when do they need to start filing a tax return? Ah, that's an evergreen question. We get it multiple times every tax season. We're going to answer it right now for you. This is the Wise Money Show. Thanks for being with us. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin, uh, no, not Kevin Corhorn, wow. Ryan oh, Fair. Right I now, am Ryan Fair, CPA, CFP, as well as Josh Gregory. I want to say thanks to the attorneys at South Bank Legal, as well as First State Bank for making the Wise Money Show possible. We appreciate that. Staying up to date on all Wise Money content, you can do so online, wisemoneyshow.com, and then all over social media, wherever you're at, we are there too. Just search the Wise Money Show and follow us there. All right, nothing but questions today. We're talking about the most common tax questions and putting CPA, CFP, Ryan Fair on the spot. Last one uh, here under the SECURE Act category. 
can you take a tax-free withdrawal from your IRA to help cover the cost of a new child? That's a trick question that we we have been getting. So you cannot take a tax-free withdrawal, but you can take a penalty-free distribution from your IRA to help cover the cost of a new child, which is that whole concept is new. That the fact that you can take a distribution from your IRA uh, to help pay for new child expenses, but it's it's still taxable, but the penalty is waived. Well, and not to get too nitty gritty either, you, you don't want to hear that um, as like a blank check. You can just pull right. as much money as you want out. You're limited to five thousand dollars, right? Per person. So there's a little. Yeah. So maybe you can make it ten if you're married yeah. or whatever, but uh, it, it's good. not an unlimited amount, right? You know, and start and planning is... for twins, triplets. <laughs> you know, yeah. The other weird thing about this is when do the expenses really come? You know, at least yeah. you know we're we're all experienced in the uh, in in the parenting. Um, I thought you were going to say the childbirthing. No, no, like, no, oh, no, like, no, no, no. Uh, so. But, you know, you got to buy the crib. You got to buy all this stuff leading up to it. And no, this this um, waiver of the penalty is after the child's born, within a year after. It's also available for adopting a child. But again, there's a lot of cost leading up to the adoption. But this is a year after right. the adoption. So strange to me. And then lastly, I would just tell you, I'm not a fan of this. Personally, I, I don't like I, and it doesn't just because you're now allowed doesn't mean you should. This mm-hmm. money is for retirement. And we were talking there is a retirement crisis. Right. So especially in these, these early years, assuming you're having kids when you're younger and you're right. in retirement still a long way off. If you pull out five grand, you could be pulling 40 grand yeah. out of your retirement in a way because of the lost compound interest and everything. So mm-hmm. just be careful. Mm-hmm. It should be last resort. All right, here's a tricky one. We get this one all the time, and Ryan, it just feels like the answer always changes. Okay, so here's the question. My son started a part-time job working at the mall. He's 17. Will he need to file a tax return? The standard tax answer is it depends. So, (laughs) yeah, that's my answer for everything. Possibly, (laughs) maybe, it depends. Um, He may not need to file, but chances are that he's going to want to file. And the kind of the distinguishing thing there is has to do with his federal withholdings on the paycheck. So at the end of the year, you look at the W-2, he may not need to file until he gets up over $12,200 of, that's that's the standard deduction amount for this year, for the federal tax return. So if he made less than $12,200, he most likely does not need to file a federal tax return. However, if he's making, you know, $10,000, he's had a few hundred dollars withheld most likely from his paychecks, you can file a tax return and get that refund back for him. Here's the follow-up question. I know you're going to yep. go to the state return too, but the yep. follow-up question is, well, wait a second. Does that mean I can't claim my son or daughter on my taxes? Right. That does not mean that you can't claim. Just because Junior is filing his own tax return, that does not mean that the parents can't claim him. The trick that we run into multiple times during a tax season, though, is Junior, when he files his tax return, has to mark that someone else is claiming him as a dependent. Oh, my goodness. That creates a problem for at least one 
client every year, their son oh, or daughter off of college. That. I would have said a dozen. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Where yep. we file mom and dad's return, yep. and then it's rejected because it says, oh, this person already filed a return. Right. And it's the point you're mentioning. That's Josh. right. The the college student or the you know the young teenager and their parents didn't coordinate their tax returns, right. and it just so happens that maybe that college student was in a rush to get that refund, and they just... They filed it incorrectly, oh, unfortunately. Nope. But, but I mean, here's the thing. I mean, there's a there's a tax credit there. Now, this person, the question, they're, they're 17, so it's a $500 credit. Yeah. Not as big a deal, but still, I still pick up pennies in the parking lot. So to li- to lose out on 500 bucks, that's a big deal. Right. But say the person is 16 and they're working, whew, that's $2,000. Mm-hmm. What about the state, Ryan? So the state, so the federal's the easy part. That's clear-cut. The state is not clear-cut at all. So the difference in the exemption amounts, so we talked about for the federal, they have a standard deduction of $12,200. On Indiana, the exemption amount's only $1,000. So Indiana, if you're a resident, then this kid that's 17 working at the mall is in Indiana, he really needs to file a tax return if he made over $1,000 in Indiana. Michigan, obviously we've got a ton of Michigan clients and listeners as well. I believe it's up to fifteen hundred for dependent children up in up in Michigan, but mm-hmm. but still that that's what complicates things, and you you basically can't file a state return without filing the federal return because the state returns start based on the federal AGI. That's a good point. Yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. It's interesting that the states don't coordinate with the Fed in that regard. Right, they don't want to give up any tax revenue. I right. think is the is the story there. Right. Yeah. And so this impacts a lot more people, even since the standard deduction has gone up, you know, technically that, you know, they're not required to fire a, file a federal, but you do have to turn on and file state and it's, they're linked. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of link, the next question is from a friend of mine in Granger, Rick, and um, he's asking basically about his folks. And, but it's a very similar question, different, yeah. different side of the coin. And so here's what he asked, at what age can I stop filing income tax returns? Under what circumstances? Any benefit to filing even if I don't need to? So yeah, it's basically the exact same set of rules, except the standard deductions a little bit different and the exemptions are a little bit different on the state level. But but really, it's the same set of rules. Unfortunately, there is no magic age limit that the IRS has set that once you hit the magic age, you don't have to file taxes. That would be nice, but it does not exist, <laughs> the, and it's all income-based. A lot of people believe that there is an age, though. They do. You yeah. know, I, I reached age 65. I started Social Security. I don't have to file anymore, right? Right. And it may be because they have a friend who is living off of just Social Security. Correct. And I'm sure you're going to explain this in just a second, but that friend may not be filing a tax return. So yep. they've just made it, in their mind, a universal rule that nobody has to file once they start Social Security. So absolutely, yeah. uh, set, set us straight on that, Ryan. Okay, so setting setting you straight on Social Security. If you have a friend that is truly, you know, they're getting their Social Security check every month, and that's what they're living on. They're not taking IRA distributions. There's not, you know, a pension. There's not other investment income coming in that's significant. That Social Security is truly all tax free, and so all of their other income is going to fall beneath the twelve thousand dollars standard deduction. Or for a married couple, if they're both getting Social Security and their income's low enough, they don't need to file a tax return because it's tax-free. Mm-hmm. But it's a sliding scale, and that's the the wild card. Right. And and again, the, the standard deduction stuff on the federal versus the state, I can think of examples of clients that have a, you know, a pension of, 
let's say $20,000 a year plus Social Security. 20000 for a married couple, they don't need to file a, a federal return. Mm-hmm. They do still have to file, though, for Indiana, yeah. for the state. You know, this can get even more complicated because from year to year, the answer could change for that same couple as well because they start pulling money out of retirement right. accounts and that could cause some of their Social Security to be countable on the tax return one year. And then the next year, maybe they stay underneath the magic threshold and they don't have to count it. Mm-hmm. So to, to go from year to year, some years paying tax, some years not, some years counting your Social Security on the return, others not. It's part of the reason we always say that when you get into retirement, your tax planning, unfortunately, it's going to be more complicated and it's more important. Yeah, that's right. And there again, the, the, the role of your certified financial planner and then the importance of them being connected with your CPA or tax situation so that you're getting great guidance. And if you're listening to that thinking, I don't know about mom and dad situation, it's time to find out because you want to make sure that you're doing, you're doing the right thing here. Um, so those are evergreen questions. They come up all the time. This next one comes up all the time as well. I think it's the most common tax-related question that I get throughout the entire year. We've got the answer and more coming up here on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. We've got the answer to the most common tax question that I get coming up here in just a second. Thanks for being with us. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Joshua Gregory, and then CPA, CFP, Ryan Fair. We're answering your most common tax questions. Thank you to Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as Diane Bennett and her Inspired Homes team for making the Wise Money Show possible. We appreciate that. If you're not listening to this show on the YouTube channel, I'd encourage you to do so. Just go to YouTube, search The Wise Money Show, subscribe to it, click that bell. If you like the content, share it, give it a thumbs up, rate it, leave questions, all that sort of stuff. We appreciate it. And you'll find the vlogs and other announcement videos, other training videos there as well. All right, so here it is. The most common tax question that I get, I'm assuming I'm not not the only one. Here's the question. My parents gave me $10,000 and said they wanted to start gifting some of their estate in small amounts. Is this money taxable to me? Is it taxable to them? I mean, the question is 10,000. It really could be any amount. People, my my folks gave me a thousand bucks or I want to give my kids two grand or I want to give my kids 20 grand out of this inheritance we just received. Is it taxable? I mean, this this question just comes up all the time. Yeah. So yeah, good news. It is not taxable to you when you receive it, and really it's not taxable to mom and dad, or there's no real um, harsh side effects of giving that money. So I, dad, if you're listening here, plug your ears. I, you know, I always tell my dad, you know, this might help you on taxes if you just, you know, give me a little, (laughs) pass along a little cash, dad, but no. Um, So yeah, it's really not taxable. Each year, the IRS allows uh, people to give up to $15,000 per year, per person, without reporting it or doing anything tax-wise. The 15000 though, there's lots of additional rules along with that. So you could do 15000 from mom to the child, from dad to the child. So now you're up to 30000 
if your child's married, you could mom and dad could give thirty to each of them, you know, to husband or child and spouse. Yep. So I mean, now you're up to sixty thousand. What happens if somebody wants to give a hundred thousand to their their ch- children? It's still you can. There's easy strategies to get to get this taken care of. You can either split it up over a couple of years, do you know fifty in one year and fifty the next year, assuming. You know, yep, I'm going with yep, my yep. story here that there's mom and dad and then children and spouse. Um, what happens if you give over the limits? It still isn't the end of the world. So basically every year we have we have a handful of tax returns that we have to do gift tax returns every year for uh, clients that have exceeded these these limits. All it does is it's a reporting requirement with the IRS that you have to file this gift tax return that reduces your lifetime gifting ex- uh, exclusion. The exclusion is huge that, you know, 99% of our clients are never going to hit. And so it's there's no impact for the recipient or the the giver. That's right. Can I interject one scenario where maybe receiving a gift could have some tax implications? Mm-hmm. And it's when uh, maybe a parent or some family member gifts you something other than cash. Mm-hmm. Maybe they gift you some stock that they've owned for a long, long time. And what happens is that stock has most likely grown in value over a long period of time. They have not paid tax on that growth. It doesn't get taxed until it's sold. Well, what if they never sell it? What if they give it to you and you sell it? Then you are the one who receives the tax implications, not on the gifted amount, just on the profit from selling it for more than what it was originally purchased for. And this can actually be a wonderful tax planning strategy strategy it's a it's a way essentially to shift some future income into a lower tax bracket potentially if the giver was in a high tax bracket and the receiver was in a lower tax bracket maybe you can get away with paying little or no tax on that profit from the the stock uh, so you took it to the strategy i i and it looks like ryan yeah. has something to say here too but i i often see that as a potential um mistake yeah, where yeah, I agree. at the yeah. end of at the end of someone's life they're saying well I don't want all this money to slip through the fingers you know right. go to the government or go to the nursing home and so I got I need to give you my house I'm still living in it I'm giving yep. you my house though and I'm giving you this money and um when you when you give that asset yeah that that gift itself isn't taxable but you give that person your cost basis right which means when they sell it they've got to pay tax on the game. You start using the word cost basis on a show and you've taken it to a whole new nerdy level. That's right. I have that impact on shows. That's right. You know what? Uh, That's one of the reasons why this whole question of should you even gift the money or if if the giver is elderly and may pass away in the near future, it may be, in the circumstances that I was just describing, it may be better to not gift it to the, uh, the the recipient and instead just let them inherit it. Right. That's where even something as simple as blessing your kids really is a financial planning issue that needs to be resolved in the context of your overall financial plan. Not just your financial plan, but also the recipient as well, because you're trying to bless them, right? Not give them some sort of a, a financial trouble in their future. Yeah. And honestly, I see that used or, or done improperly much more often than I see it done yeah. the right way. Mm-hmm. So clients will come in and say, yeah, the gifting the stock, that's a great example, or the house. 
you know, if if mom and dad are, you know, 90 years old and or 100 years old or 120 years old, I, I don't want to kick off mom and dad too early here, but you know, if they're, you know, if they're up there in age, the tax ramifications of them giving their house to their children or giving this, you know, let's say a large $100,000 of stock that they paid $10,000 for way back in 1970, you know. Mm-hmm. The if mom and dad had died while they owned that stock and then the children inherit it, the children get a step up in cost basis, which means they received a $100,000 stock with cost basis of 100,000. They can sell it the day after and there's no capital gains. Let me translate that to layman's speak. Please do. It basically means that the profit on that ta- or on that stock that they were going to pay tax on gets erased. Right. They, they you don't have to pay tax on all that profit or all that growth from back in the 70s as you said. Right. That's a big deal. Huge. And, and again, uh, planning uh, certainly comprehensive financial planning point. All right, here's another question I get all the time and and it's and it's phrased like this, but I'll 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 kind of give you the context. I owed taxes last year, and I don't think my employer is withholding the right amount. What can I do about that? So that's the question. But the cons- the 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 the, um, the concept is, I owed taxes last year. What'd you do wrong? Right. Right. Or or you must not have prepared my taxes correctly. Or nothing changed. Or th- there's a problem. I owed taxes, and I I didn't think I I would. And so. It's not often connected to, oh, maybe my employer didn't withhold the right amount or maybe I didn't have the right withholding set up. It's just, I owe taxes. What's wrong? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it feels terrible. Oftentimes, it's a withholding problem. Yep. It's, it's almost, well, I guess if somebody's you know attacking me as the tax preparer, I always deflect it back. It never <laughs> happens, it's, does it? It's always a withholding issue. <laughs> Uh, but no, it, honestly, the it is a withholding issue in most most all of those cases. In um, this, I think we say it on every show that I'm on. You have to pay attention to your financial life. Pay attention to your pay stubs. Those, you know, we, uh, everything is direct deposit these days. All of pay all of our pay stubs are online. We don't even look at those. They're not tangible anymore. You have to log in and look it up. And I'm encouraging you guys to do that because that could eliminate this headache at tax time. If you notice during the year that doesn't seem like they're withholding very much, that's when we do a tax projection and figure it out, you know, ahead of time so that you're not blindsided in March that, you know, your withholdings are way low. It's I love how you simplified that down to basically just say, hey, if you owe taxes, it's because you didn't pay enough, right? Yeah. Now, why didn't you pay enough? It may be because something changed in your financial life. You know, maybe a son or daughter aged out of uh, being eligible for a tax credit or something like that. Maybe you changed employers and it it didn't map over to where even though you're earning the exact same amount doesn't mean that the new employer is withholding the exact same amount. Right. So you're exactly right, Ryan. I mean, we, we've said many times that the importance of projecting your tax return, planning ahead and knowing where you're going to land is so vital because you can catch those mistakes early. That's right. And um, you've got to look at this from a planning perspective because just looking at your pay stub and withholdings, it's hard to tell whether right. that's the right amount or not. You've got to then go to the next step and get a tax projection done. So a little bit more on this question. And then what about gambling losses? Do you get to deduct those? 
That and more coming up here on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Thank you so much for being with us today. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Josh Gregory and special guest CPA, CFP, Ryan Fair. If you've missed anything and you love listening to podcasts while you're working out or doing some work around the house or coming up, we got spring cleaning. Not looking forward to that. You, normally, I just don't even do it. But uh, anyway, but you can you, you can find the fall. That's right. That's right. You can find the Wise Money Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search the Wise Money Show. I'd encourage you to, to subscribe to it. Even rate the show and leave comments. We appreciate that. Thank you. All right. So just a, a couple other honorable mention comments about the last question here. I owed taxes last year. That was a surprise. I don't think my employer was withholding the right amount. What can I do about that? Oftentimes, as a consumer, your brain doesn't automatically go to, oh, my my withholdings were off. Usually you think someone did something wrong. And that's where, again, if you're doing a TurboTax or doing it yourself or just going in to see someone that you've never met before, you know, an H&R Block sort of thing, you're probably not going to get a great answer. This is where you got to be working with the CFP and working with the CPA to, to they can kind of break it down and help you know what happened. Because... If you or your spouse started a part-time job and you're only making a couple hundred bucks a week or maybe you just made five grand in a month and then, you know, that, but that's sort of a side thing, that income is going to be included on your tax return, but the withholdings are probably nothing right. or very, very little. Something else to be aware of, do you have capital gains from an investment account? Do you have dividends from an investment account showing up on your tax return? None, there's no tax withholding on that. So you need to make sure that your own withholdings on your paycheck are enough to compensate and cover those things. So, you know, that's actually one of the reasons why we always say that your investment advisor, whoever's coaching you on how to structure your investment portfolio and your CPA really need to be collaborating to 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 figure out well what is the best way to structure those investments, especially if they're outside of an IRA or some retirement plan at work because they are going to generate interest and dividends and capital gains. It's going to be extra income that could land on your tax return and never have any withholdings on it. And if that gets up to a large enough size, it can have a real impact on whether you owe at the end of the year, whether you've been paying in enough out of your paycheck, that sort of thing. Yeah. All right, next question. Again, we're talking about the most common tax questions that we get. We started with a couple of secure acts, sort of the newbies, but then the next several have been the most common. They're the evergreen tax questions that always come up. This one only applies to certain folks, but it still is a question. comes up a lot. Hey, I received a 1099, so a tax form, for gambling winnings. Am I able to offset that with the other losses, gambling losses that I had during the year so that this isn't taxable? So that's this is one of those famous answers that you often hear your friends talking about. And yeah, of course it's deductible. You can offset your gains with your losses. But they're in two different places on the tax return where the majority of gambling winners get no benefit from deducting the losses. So 
the gambling winnings you get, uh, typically it's a W-2G, sometimes a 1099, will show up on the front page of your tax return as other income. That's where the gambling income goes. On the losses, that carries over to Schedule A, which is itemized deductions. And that's where the, the standard, you, every taxpayer takes the larger of their standard deduction or the itemized deduction. So standard deduction got, went up significantly last year for everyone in the United States. For a married couple, it's all the way up to $24,400. So it means you have to get itemized deductions over that level before you actually get any benefit. It's down to like 10, 8, 10% of people that are actually itemizing deductions anymore. The big deductions to get up over that 24,000 would be your mortgage interest, um, up to $10,000 of all of your taxes, charitable contributions, and then your gambling losses up to the amount of gambling winnings you can add into that list. Yeah. So it's it's just harder and harder right. for anyone to get any goodness out of the losses, essentially. Yep. But everybody is coached or hears conversations at the casino that, oh, I can deduct my losses you know, against my winnings. And yeah, technically you can deduct your losses, but it may not help you a lick. So oh, what about... Suck it up, chap. You know, it's okay. Yeah. You'll be able to write off those losses. So what about, uh, what about state? So state... There is no, so all of this deduction or offsetting losses that we've talked about is all on the federal level. So the state starts with your adjusted gross income on the federal return. So that means that's before all of these itemized deductions or standard deduction stuff that we're talking about. So basically, long story short, there is no ability to deduct the losses on the state return. So if you're going to gamble, gamble in Florida. It's more fun down there anyway. There's no state tax. Mike, you're still a resident of Indiana. Oh, bummer. Bummer. Ryan. Come on, man. Uh, Okay, so that that is – sorry to burst your bubble there. And, you know, I just – here's the deal. Here's the financial advice. If you're going to gamble, don't lose. Don't lose. You won't have to worry about it. I mean, you'll you'll have to pay some tax on the gain, but, I mean, you'll be money ahead. There you go. There you go. Yeah, that's why I don't gamble. (laughs) <laughs> All right, next question. Can I use my 529 plan to pay for any of my kids that are in college? So, yeah, with, with 529s, you have an education beneficiary that it's, that's different than the normal beneficiaries that we're used to thinking of when you pass away, your beneficiary gets it. 529s, you have an, a designated education beneficiary. And so when you take distributions from a specific 529, it's for that beneficiary. But the good news is you can change the education beneficiaries from time to time if needed. Yeah, but it's once a year, right, that you can make a change on, on who the beneficial owner of this beneficiary is. Uh, or you can split it into yeah. multiple 529 right. plans for each child as well. Uh, but you can't do that after the fact. And so we do see this. Uh, it's not it, – well, when you're opening a 529 plan, we get this question a lot. Um, but we usually get this question – after someone's already pulled the money out and used it for both kids, even though there, it, all the money came out of just one 529. And there's not a great undo button there. No. You're kind of you're right. kind of sunk. Uh, I was working with some friends who had two kids but four different 529 plans. 
and both the kids were in college. And so they were like, well, we'll just take it out of this one and that one. And it's like, no, 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 guys, we got to really sort this thing out yeah. to make sure we avoid any mistakes. Because making a mistake there, the gain is penalized. And potentially, if you're in Indiana, you might have to pay back some of that tax credit, credit yeah. on the way in. All right. I think we've got time for one more question here. Ooh. Uh, let's jump down to this one. Okay. I'm doing side work as a contractor. Hmm. How will that be taxed? I mean, if we're, we can't have a show about the most common tax question to not hit that one. Right. This is often called being blindsided <laughs> when, uh, <laughs> when clients come into my office and have their taxes done. So they're like, hey, you know, I got this awesome, I did some consulting on the side and I got this 1099 for 5,000 bucks. Isn't that awesome? I'm like, yes, that is awesome. Do you know how that's taxed? And we're like, no, I just need to pay a little tax on it and the rest, I've already spent it. So uh, how are you actually taxed on that? And so side hustle, you've got your income, you're allowed to subtract all those expenses that are directly related to the generation of that side hustle income. Whatever's left is what's taxable. So that shows up on your tax return as, and it's taxed as regular federal, state, and local income tax. And then on top of that, you've got the FICA tax or Social Security and Medicare tax. Another name for that is self-employment tax. It all means the same stuff, but that is an additional 15.3% that you're paying towards Social Security and Medicare on that side hustle profit. So all of a sudden, let's look at you know your combined tax return for the household. Let's say you're in the 12% or 22% tax bracket. So you pay that tax on the profit, plus this 15.3% that we talked about for self-employment tax, plus your state and local taxes, roughly, say, another 5%. Adds up in a hurry. This is the point where people throw their hands up and say, oh, it's not even worth it to do this thing. Yep, exactly. right? hear it every year. It, it feels like they're taking most of what, uh, what you've earned. That's not actually true, but true. it is more expensive income, and uh, I, I'd rather have you, you know, have 65 cents left over than uh, none of it at all. Mm -hmm. So go earn that income, be productive, but just be aware of the tax impact. Yep. I mean, have you ever had anyone really mad at you about this? <laughs> all the time, actually, <laughs> all the time, yeah. but, this is, but that's how it works. So hopefully now you know. Yep. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Ryan, thanks for being on once you again. Bet. On behalf of Ryan Fair, Josh Gregory, myself, and all of us, at Corhorn Financial Group. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.